Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Sorry I'm a little late to the show, man. Uh, that dump wasn't going to take itself. <laughs> but I did arrive with uh, with something that I didn't leave with, which is... A giant strawberry margarita. Whoa! Just an amount of strawberry margarita that is a guaranteed hangover. God damn! I'm just looking at it, I'm starting to get a twinge of a headache. No kidding. You want to get that sweet out of your booze if you possibly can. I think most people recognize that's the secret to avoiding that train hitting you. Uh huh. You can <laughs> at least at least limit it. Like that's why I can't have five tiki drinks in a night. It's not that they aren't delicious. It's not that they aren't too strong. It's, it's the sweet. The, the sweet really gets you in the end. It's never stopped you, though. No, never, never once. <laughs> How many tiki drinks could you have, really? Oh, I've had a lot, man. I mean, it's hard when you're at, like, Smuggler's Cove or something. Yeah. You round the turn after that fourth one. You start eyeing that wood paneling on the floor as a as a place to crash. Yeah, that looks very inviting at that point. I don't know. <laughs> I, I had a... Uh, when we first moved to Los Angeles, it was like pretty close to my birthday, and I had a little birthday hang at the Tonga Hut. Happy birthday, or whatever. That was pretty like sparsely attended. Like not that many people I knew. You know, I didn't know that many people in LA, but I invited everyone I knew. And like, I've, I've got a birthday that uh, that has a a holiday conflict, so it really it really fucks my ability to like get a group together. Most years. Is that a thing about L.A., though, too, where uh, people say yes and then flake? Isn't that... That's one of the things I heard about before moving here was... Yeah, maybe. You can't hold people to plans. That's like the only time I've actually tried inviting anyone to anything. (laughs) So... I always tell people that what I'm having is a surprise birthday party for Ben, and then no one shows up to what I'm actually doing. Wow. Maybe the variable is your birthday. Yeah, maybe it's me. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) I... uh, I bring it up because I had a pretty terrific number of tiki beverages that evening. <laughs> and I remember that at some point after being at the Tonga Hut, we were at a house party. So I was like in somebody's backyard and I remember I was up for whatever everyone was doing. But when I got there, they had White Claws and it was the first time I'd ever heard of White Claws. And I was like, oh, no, I I had my first White Claws. So I I had like two or three White Claws after probably, I don't know, five or six tiki drinks. I had an awesome time. I don't like that order of operations at all. I was walking around my new neighborhood and I was like, is that the house where that house party was? I think it may be. Wow. Like through the fog of of drunken memory comes the house. I, I turned, I came around a corner and stumbled upon the scene of a crime. A social crime, <laughs> mm-hmm. as it was. Yeah. I have never had a White Claw. Really? Yeah, I don't think they're for me. There's a Topo Chico variant with alcohol in it now. I trust Topo Chico to make a good beverage. I bet it's good. What I want in my booze is some minerality. <laughs> yeah. You want, a, uh, you want like a... 
old-timey 19th century like wellness kind of feeling <laughs> to your boozy water i want the sense of laudanum <laughs> or, or laudanum adjacent i bet there were laudanum cocktails back in the day like get a little opium in your mixed beverage yeah. the way that uh God, there was a place in seattle that used to make cocktails with tinctures in them <laughs> uh, this one has a poppy seed tincture wink wink <laughs> Well, the suggestion of a couple of the tinctures was that, you know, some of them would would make you feel a kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I think part of their power was the suggestion of that. Right. And that maybe it was just... Uh, you don't want to get placebo laudanum. That's no fun. <laughs> the the placebo cocktail is no good. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against a, a buffer drink by any measure, but I want to believe what I'm getting is what I ordered. You, you know? are well known to be pro-buffer. So what, what possessed you to get a strawberry mark out of the kitchen that is going to be too much for you? I think it's the classic refrigerator lament. It's, it's <laughs> that uh, our fridge is full of all kinds of bottles and cans of things, and it just feels like we've had this, this bottle of Costco strawberry mark in there for too long. Mm. I wanted to kill it. And when I poured half of it in, I saw so little in the in the jug that I was like, well, let's go ahead and take this one to the top. So now I've got my insulated pint glass filled to the very top. There's almost a membrane of strawberry mark at the top of this thing that a, that a spider could crawl across and not sink. Oh, wow. One thing I really admire about the way you and your wife run a house is that you guys, you guys have all, a lot of uh, beverage options on hand at all times. Is that a thing? How do you not? We just don't. You have we, that. No. I, I may have like one beer and one can of tonic in my fridge at any given point. I have felt from time to time like that is an onslaught of a question to ask a guest where like before a guest arrives, I'm like, this is going to be great. They've got options. But then yeah. when the guest arrives, I'm like, like, would you like this or this or this or this? Cola, purple stuff, Sunny D. And they always go for the Sunny D. I realize now that I've I've inadvertently put someone in a stressful situation where they need to decide. Oh, because they get analysis paralysis at your plentiful options? <laughs> you just need like coffee, tea, beer, and wine. Yeah. And you're covered, right? I don't want to be the server that works in the tap room that is asked what kind of beer they have and they have to <laughs> read off every single fucking one. Yeah. Hey, person who goes to a tap room whenever tap rooms open again, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Tell them kind of like what you're aiming for and they all tell you like two or three things that might get you into that neighborhood. Maybe go on an adventure. Have something new. Yeah. Walk up to the bar and say, give me a beer. See what happens. <laughs> Just like you're in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Do do the movie order. The movie order. It's never steered me wrong in a tap room. No, many different types of beers makes me think of many different types of gach, which is a bit of trivia that we get at the beginning of this episode, Ben. What do you say we dive into that? Let's do it. It's Deep Space Nine Season 7, Episode 11, a show title that has been autocorrected into... Portugal daughter. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. I love 
a mail order gift. Mm-hmm. I've been on the receiving end of a couple of these lately. Uh, it's a very sweet thing to receive, but yeah. you don't want to be the recipient of someone who's overdoing it. And Esri Dax has been overdone <laughs> with 51 cases of Gach, every variety different. There are varieties of Gach? Oh, yes. What a self-own by the Dax symbiont. This is interesting to me because I imagine that Gach, like oysters, probably has to be shipped with a high degree of rapidity. There's probably a lot of regs around how you do it because it's alive. It needs to be preserved in a certain way. It needs to, you know, the temperature can't shift that much. It can't be in an unpressurized compartment on the on the transport or whatever. And so you wouldn't think that you would need like tons and tons of lead time for an order of gach. But that's what's happened here because Esri is receiving gach that was ordered by Jedzia. I can imagine being behind the Klingon at the 51 Flavors Gok <laughs> franchise, <laughs> where the guy just wants a noodle sample of every one. Mm-hmm. So obnoxious. Yeah. A lot of murders happen in the line at the uh, 51 Flavors. Yeah. Because they're Klingons and they're very violent. If you get Tolary Kadavid behind you, he's going to tell you, he's going <laughs> to give you a piece of his mind. <laughs> Try one or two! Do not try everything in the case! It's just cruel to the employee behind the counter! We all have other places to be! Also, I noticed in the parking lot, your red Volvo was a little bit over the line! So I had to be a little bit over the line! And then the next car that comes in, and so on and so forth! And why can't I get these little spoons to use at home? It seems like the only place you can get a sample spoon is at a 51 Flavors! Uh, David. <laughs> we suck. It makes Esri sick to even talk about this. Esri, a famously uh, sickened stomach, just yeah. at the drop of a hat, she'll get a little nauseous, and uh, she can't even talk about all the varieties. She can't even, and yet she keeps. That's Esri Dax in a nutshell right there. <laughs> right. She keeps, she keeps listing different kinds of gach, Torgud, Filden, Meshta, and getting so sick to her stomach that she is, like, ready to barf in her commuter mug. Flush it out the airlock. And keeps yeah. listing. Know your limits, Esri. It's a good time for Dr. Bashir to leave the conversation. Uh, his excuse is that O'Brien... I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. ...is due back via transport ship. And I think when, you're, when you've come back from traveling, the first thing you want to do is Alamo with... <laughs> Dr. Bashir or whatever. Like, don't even put down your fucking suitcase, O'Brien. Yeah. I got you a Western hat and some chaps. We're going <laughs> to go defend the Alamo. Yeah. So he's a little he's a little distracted, but uh, Esri keeps listing gachs to the point where she has to, like, check herself out, and Bashir uses that as his excuse to leave as well. Did you not look at the menu before coming here? Do you know a couple of flavors you know you already like? Maybe just try those. I mean, is this your first time or something? <laughs> Bashir gets stood up. Yeah. You hate to see it. 
Yeah. When those roller doors uh, roll open and then roll shut again, and our buddy O'Brien hasn't walked through them, bad time. Feels sad. And what? <laughs> it's it's sad on a couple of fronts because Bashir knows what O'Brien's truly been up to, and uh, unfortunately, it, it rises to the level of needing to tell Ben Cisco. Yeah. Bashir tells Cisco that O'Brien has not returned from what. Cisco thought was a visit to the parents and is in fact a secret mission to which Ben Cisco says doctor please in a very bitch please kind of way did you get this <laughs> that's really funny the mission that O'Brien has been on is a callback he's been looking for the wife of Liam Bilby yeah go ahead. Uh, the the man that he met under deep cover yeah, yeah. you remember how much Bilby cared about family Oh, yeah. The most important thing for Liam Bilby. Yeah. Besides doing crime, I mean. Yeah. It's number one, crime. Number two, wife of Liam Bilby. But, you know, when asked, he's going to he's gonna move family up up to number one position, right. you know, because he's not, he, he would admit to doing crime. But anyways, uh, O'Brien has sort of turned himself into the night. <laughs> the darkness and gone on a secret mission to see if he can save Bilby's wife because he's been he's been like corresponding with Bilby's wife and she stopped answering her emails I wonder how Keiko feels about that you think Keiko has the has his email password (laughs) Miles who is this woman when Cisco leaves this scene he goes through the door into ops and I thought he was going to fall through a hole because when I saw this, it made me think, when was the last time any scene took place on Ops? Yeah. It feels like they already took the set down. Yeah, yeah, like that part of the show is over. Yeah. Yeah, like, can you imagine a show set on a starship where we don't go to the bridge for many episodes in a row? If you told me it had been 10 episodes since we've been in Ops, I would believe you. It feels like forever <laughs> ago. <laughs> So they need help because uh, the system that O'Brien went to is not a federation system. It's it's kind of outside the law, outside of the purview of Starfleet. Uh, they can't give him that Juris my diction crap. So, mm. uh, but they have an advantage because Ezri Dax has family in the Sapora system. In honor of which, I'm drinking a Sapporo beer. Wow. So, uh, Sapporo system is just a great, big, tall system. Oh, yeah. And and doesn't give you a hangover. It's like a 32-ounce system. <laughs> That's where New Sydney is. Yeah. And they ask you if you want the little one or the big one, and the little one's still pretty big. Isn't that the truth? That's a nice beer. Ezri's mom lives there. But it's awkward because while on the one hand, Ezri's happy to do Cisco this favor by you know, asking mom if she can provide any information about O'Brien's disappearance. She's estranged from her mom in a way that might make that awkward. And we see that awkwardness play out in the FaceTime that Esri has with her mom later on. It's a classic mom blackmail where (laughs) she's happy to do the favor just as long as Esri comes to visit. Mother, no. And so that's the pressure that Esri's on right away. Moms are really good at blackmail. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Please don't put me in this. Esri, goodbye. So after that nine minute cold open, uh, Bashir is walking Esri to the runabout. I thought for a moment Bashir would go with. 
Why isn't he going with? He's turned over a new leaf, W slash R slash T, getting up in people's business. <laughs> I think I can answer this question. It's because Bashir can so easily sympathize with Esri's weird relationship with her parents that he does not want to witness that car crash. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's like, uh, cool. Uh, well, good luck or whatever. Here's a hypo spray for your space nausea. I don't I don't have any interest in vicariously experiencing something that I can experience myself for free. I don't know. I feel like Bashir might have preferred to go on this trip if he were an architectural enthusiast because Ezri's parents live in a Frank Lloyd Wright house built on a cliff overlooking hell. <laughs> <laughs> It is all Mordor out there. Yeah, this is a very industrial-looking planet. I feel like the production was so psyched about what their matte painting looked like that they they cut back to the exterior of this house so many times in this episode. I think if you're building the family homestead on this planet, you got to know it's a pretty bad look to stick it up in the hill overlooking everything and make it this nice. Yeah. I think you're asking for some vandalism. All of the like industrial serfs that are toiling in your minds below, just looking yeah. up at your fucking fancy ass house, resenting right. you. We get a moment to meet Esri's family one by one. Yeah. She's sort of fallen out of touch with them because of her joining. And there is a little bit of retreading the, it's been so weird since I got the deck symbiont stuff in this episode that I feel like by episode 11 with this character we should have been well rid of. Norvo looks like he could be related to Chris Brenner. <laughs> Norvo! I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner! <laughs> He really gave me those Brenner vibes. That's not far off the mark. Yeah, it's me, Norvo. You know, painting, sculpture, doing the books. Her other brother is Janelle, who is the blue-collar brother, and you can tell that because uh, he's covered in ash and he's holding a hard hat. <laughs> you definitely get one of each in this family. Yeah, Norvo keeps it pretty clean. Um, he's got some paintings up around the house as he's like complimenting him on the paintings and he really just cannot, cannot accept a compliment. He really yeah. drags himself every, every time his work is brought up. Esri's mom is, uh, I mean, I don't think there's another way to put it. Kind of a tiger mom, you know? <laughs> is tiger mom problematic? I want to be clear. I'm, I'm using it in the non-problematic way, in a way that tiger parents refer to themselves. You can tell uh, she really rules that household in a way that makes people uncomfortable. I hate your hair. She's very intense. She's very like involved in the choices that her children make, which is, which is interesting, right? Like the... Like Norvo, like the storyline about Norvo is that he is so deep under her thumb that he... You know, he he's deferred his dream of becoming an artist in a way, and she's interpreted that as he is like he's not an independent enough man to to be released into the world. Right, a sort of failure to launch situation. Right, but we get the sense that like perhaps part of that is that her, she has forbidden him from launching, as if the mother has some clamps on the rocket, thus 
thus preventing a launch <laughs> from occurring. Right. Yeah, she hasn't released the docking ring. So, when Mom and Esri leave, the brothers start discussing a bit of sabotage that's occurred in the mine below. Workers flung their wooden shoes called sabot. And the suspicion is that this is an instance of Orion syndication. Everyone knows that after the fourth season, mm-hmm. you're eligible for Orion syndication. Yeah, and that's when that's when the money really starts flowing in. Yeah. The Orion syndicate doesn't take no for an answer. It's kind of a bad situation there. We, we know that... Uh, Esri's mom's used to be the proprietor of the fifth largest uh, perineum mine. I forget what kind of mine it is. <laughs> they mine the space between the anus and the scrotum. Yeah. Uh, but now, now she's the sixth. She's been knocked out of the top five. So they're taint miners. Yeah, they're taint miners. <laughs> uh, it, taint dilithium, taint duranium. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's why that one brother was so dirty. Yeah, it could get messy down there. No bidets in New Sydney. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they have a... <laughs> oh, you just Adamed me big time. It's not New Sydney. That's the problem. It's Sapporo. Oh. New Sydney's where, where Bilby lived, but remember, his family... Did not live there. I thought New Sydney was in the Sapporo system. I've not connected all these dots. It gets very confusing. And honestly, at the end of the day, who gives a shit? Relax. But we get a scene where the Tegan family kind of reconnect over dinner. Of course, Esri's last name has has changed to Dax, but this is the Tegan family household. And um, she's talking about, like, what a crazy adjustment it's been, how much harder it has been for her than most joint trills. How confusing everything is to her constantly. Yeah, how she has to, like, look under her bedsheets to decide what gender she is in the morning. I also have an unfortunate tendency to ramble. Why are the trills in her family so unforgiving of her experience? I don't understand how they don't get this. I wonder if you're a Trill and you don't live on the Trill homeworld, if you just kind of like revert to being a standard humanoid, like you don't think about the possibility of joining because you're so far from it. When you're a Trill, you're a Trill all the way (laughs) from your first cigarette to your last dying day. Never alone. You're never disconnected. I thought it was weird that she had to explain this shit to them. I feel like she's explaining it to them like they're strangers to the concept, but they're just like rolling their eyes at her and... They know, but they just don't care. Yeah, like her mom is like, like, give me a fucking break. You should be here helping me run this company, not off on some kind of Star Trek. There's that familial hypocrisy going on here too, where all the shit is being poured onto Esri's head over like, why don't you take an interest in the family matters? Like, why haven't you been around or whatever? Where they're the ones that have taken just as little of an interest in Esri's life or her circumstances too. Right. They never come and visit the station. Yeah. Somehow the only way for them to spend any time together is for her to like put her life on pause and stay there for a long time. Later that night, Esri visits the brother that looks like James Spader, and you get to see like more of his artwork, and you get the sense that he's a little too much of a polymath for their mother to take. Yeah. He likes a lot of things. He doesn't want to just specialize. Why doesn't she get that? I uh, wonder why artists 
like personal spaces are always depicted as being so messy in television shows. Yeah, that is kind of a shorthand, isn't it? What's that about? The studio is always kind of a, a cluttered mess. I mean, I know yeah. that I, I know artists that have cluttery studios, but I also know artists that have it have really neat studios. There was something missing from this episode between Esri and her brothers, and I think the brothers would tease Esri more than they do. And no one teases anyone this episode. Did you notice that? Oh, that's interesting, like, yeah. Like it's, it's all very sincere question and answering, but James Spader isn't like, can I feel the bump? If only I'd really said that. Nary a chop is busted. We gotta have some chop busting here, and that is never the vibe. I wonder if that's a uh, recency bias from having watched a bunch of lower decks, though. Like, oh yeah, like that is like nothing but chop busting on that show, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and maybe you just you just miss it in your trek at this at this moment. Well, Chris Brenner Jr.'s hitting the Sari and Brandy pretty hard. Yeah. I think you can tell that uh, he's not doing it to chill. He's doing it to cope. This is not distribution. This is consumption. He hates the family business. And, like, yeah. uh, like when when their mom walks in in, in the first moment, like uh, she, like, delegates a bunch of, like, businessy shit to the two brothers to, like, establish that she is, you know, a CEO that has a drive and a, and a focus on on the biz like very much unlike bilby for her the business is the most important thing and you know like the norvo is like life on hold guy but also like uh, i gotta do like a bunch of fucking spreadsheets guy and we're both artists we both we're both basically allergic to spreadsheets we suck at them hate them hate everyone we're on the other end of whatever like personality spectrum that is i'm not very good z the next morning, mom is super upset at Norvo's hangover, and uh, Esri takes the blame. Esri, like a good sister, is like, it was my fault. We were up partying because of me. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Blame blame the party's victim much? On the one hand, she jumps on the hangover grenade, and then on the other hand, it's like, you know he has a drinking problem because of you, right? And all the pressure <laughs> you put on him? Yeah. You're smothering him. He didn't just drink his ass off last night he like destroyed all of his work she's a mental health professional she should like check him in somewhere like he is he is clearly in a very bad way if he like destroyed every piece of art he made <laughs> i have a hard time forgiving the episode for for one specific decision which is like we we momentarily see uh what he's drawn on top of a painting, which is like a stick figure jacking <laughs> off or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. But we come back to this location over and over again and the painting is resting on a wall behind the desk. Yeah, and, yeah. and the stick figure is cropped out in subsequent scenes. And I so wanted to keep <laughs> returning to that beat over and over again of like <laughs> that stick figure in the corner. Because it really represents what's going on in the family so well. You think it's funny? Yeah. This is one of those arguments where Ezri is like, listen, what you've done is, is you know, painted him into a corner. <laughs> he feels trapped. He hates this. And her mom flips that shit right back in her face. Like, you've been gone for so long. Don't, don't you dare come in here and presume to tell me how our family is going when, when you're not even involved with it you don't even you don't know the first thing about being a mother which uh you know Esri has has a great comeback for actually i have three no 
four lifetimes worth of memories about raising children. It's that uh, guilt-tripping jujitsu of Esri being asked to be a greater participant in her family, and the moment she does, yeah, uh, the person asking her to is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you don't get to actually... Uh, make observations and then share yeah. those with me. That's that's a little much. That's more than I bargained for here. <laughs> Before the argument can reach any kind of conclusion, uh, O'Brien is led into the room by handcuffs. This is fucking spectacular. He looks like he's had a, a rougher night than Norvo. Looks like he's been punched in the face many times. The secret mission does not go well, Enterprise. Yeah, we learn right away Bilby's wife is dead. Yeah. And this police officer, the, he does not get along with O'Brien whatsoever. And he sticks around kind of a long time. Why? Exactly. I couldn't really figure this out. Like, I, I, it seemed like Esri's mom kind of has, she's a prominent enough citizen that she kind of has, like, special use of the local authorities kind of a thing. But I agree, like, this character seemed like he should have just been a lineless extra that brought O'Brien in not in handcuffs you know like we found this guy like this is the guy you asked us to look for but instead he's like you know like you know you're lucky we stopped you from poking around because like the orions could have killed you but they definitely didn't kill that woman because they don't kill people that's not how they do things and it's like what the fuck is this guy talking about like the the logic like never connects i think it may connect only after watching the entire episode when i think you may reach the understanding that everyone has reached Orion syndication mm. uh, who works on the planet. Yeah. That's why they all have those like really fancy cars and like house in the yeah. hills. They get involved in politics after yeah. having made all that money. Right. Yeah. Like I, I feel like in retrospect, maybe, maybe he's, he's got that syndication power. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. RSVP Bilby's wife though. Uh, who was beat over the head and then thrown into a river. Pretty fucked up. We pull a dozen bodies a month out of that river. They don't agree with the cause of death specifically, but O'Brien tells Esri about body decomposition over lunch. (laughs) And uh, that's when you want to do it. His face looks a lot better. It looks like he may have uh, waved a light over it Mm because he's not as swollen anymore. Yeah, and... Esri's like, oh, we gotta get, like, you gotta get some R&R, like, relax, feel better, and he's, he's, uh, he's feeling great to the extent that, uh, when, when Janelle walks in and asks, like, hey, can you come fix the third piece of sabotaged equipment we've mentioned in this episode, O'Brien's like, yes, awesome, wanted a job, I don't want to go home feeling like this was a total failure. Puts him to work. That's a free lunch there, O'Brien. Why don't you earn it? Yeah. What are you doing now? Meanwhile, Esri goes and checks in on Norvo, who is uh, clearly both hungover and depressed. Good morning. Good afternoon. What shape is Norvo's bed? Mm. It looks triangular to me. It does look a little bit triangular. It could be heart-shaped. That wouldn't be insane on Deep Space Nine where the pillows are triangular, so maybe you pick up the, you know, like a pillow is roughly the same shape as a bed. Yeah. Just turned 
90 degrees. <laughs> he gets woken up and then gets therapy done at him uh, yeah. right away. Yeah. He has better defenses for this than almost anybody, though. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. Like, this may be the one moment of chop busting, right? When he's like, don't therapy me. Mm-hmm. I'm your brother. She pivots into an appeal of him to come with her back to the station. And he says he's too busy with work to do that. He uh, he needs the vacation that she's suggesting. And he's kind of of the opinion that maybe, like, maybe things would get even more crazy if he left. Like, and, and she's, she's, she's making the case, like, hire a fucking accountant. You suck at this. You're not a spreadsheet guy. I think she, she kind of persuades him by the end of this scene. I don't, I don't know, Z. Now think about it. Back with O'Brien, he has quickly identified the problem with the equipment. Yeah. And, uh, nice to see it, some actual work getting done in the Star Trek caves. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? great. I love a classic hard hat. You know, yeah. like once you once you reach Apex hard hat, there's no reason to to make a new one. You already have no, the best. That's as good as a hard hat can get. There's no one's going to reinvent the hard hat here. One time I was doing a shoot for uh, CNET and we were filming something about a lunar rover that was being developed in Pittsburgh. And to simulate the lunar surface, they went they took this rover to like this quarry outside Pittsburgh and we're running it on on like the you know like the regolith like dust at this quarry, and yeah. then they gave me a hard hat, and it was a hard hat in the shape of a cowboy hat, <laughs> like as a prank. <laughs> it kind of felt like that. I was like, "What the fuck am I supposed to do with this? I'm not a, a cowboy hat guy." The thing I love about a, a Pittsburgh Rover is that it comes with fries inside. <laughs> I love a hard hat shoot, Ben, because guess what? You don't have to give the hard hat back. Yeah. Every hard hat shoot I've ever had uh, sends me home with a hard hat. That's a free hard hat. Which is why I have a collection of hard hats. <laughs> I uh, I was flying back like that night, so I, and I didn't have room in my luggage for my hard hat, but I really yeah. wanted to keep it because it was just like, how ridiculous would it be to have a hard hat, and the hard hat I have is a cowboy hat. It's definitely an L. Enter Thaddeal Bokar, a name straight out of Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> whose melee weapon is commodities brokerage. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, O'Brien says, I wish this part that was broken was a 52J, but it's a 52L. And Bokar enters guy- by going, wish? Did somebody say wish? The wish is granted. Long live Jambi. This guy played Jambi on Pee-wee's Playhouse, Adam. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. His name is John Paragon. Amazing. <laughs> what a great I clocked name. Him, I clocked him immediately. I was so excited. And then he has like one scene. Thaddeus Bokar. I'm a commodities broker. I felt so ripped off. Great face. Very threatening manner. Like he's the sort of threatening where like a person who knows a lot about you and you don't know how has. Yeah. That's the sort of threatening he is. Totally. He's a... Uh creepily trying to get into business with these people i would say (laughs) he wants that syndication money yeah he explains to to o'brien like i'm trying to get into business with this mine and yet the the way he discusses things with them is uh, as though 
it's going to be their ass if they don't get into business with him. There is no industrial setting, past, present, or future, that does not require an escort in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Thaddeo Bokar just walking around unescorted. Yeah. Uh, do you think that might be part of the problem with the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with with your shit breaking all the time and possibly being sabotaged, guys? Yeah, just strangers in business suits keep walking in. Yeah. It's clear that uh, the syndicate is putting pressure on Chanel and the family business. So O'Brien starts to talk to Esri about this. Like, he's like, hey, like I got this, uh, I got this feeling that there's some some dirty tricks being played here. Just being around your family makes me feel like the Orion Syndicate is putting pressure on them. Having observed that uh, from the other side back when I was in deep cover, I am really worried about them and specifically worried about your brothers because it seems like they're kind of like maybe some leverage here that the Orion Syndicate has that they're being uh, plied with. That's the way the Syndicate extorts money from legitimate companies. Esri's like really resistant to this idea, right? Like the the idea that her mom would be anywhere near a criminal enterprise is is basically impossible for her to accept. At this point, who was your suspect of the family members? The artist brother, the dirty brother, or the mom? And my mind immediately went to to Norvo because yeah. Norvo is the exocomp of this episode. They never stop right. saying the word Norvo. Yeah. They've given yeah. him by far the most character development. And he also seems from the outside to be the cleanest. Like, I know that they were trying to, to misdirect us away from Norvo, but I, I've seen enough Star Trek to know the math of wow. a moment like this. You're smarter than I am. I, I was most suspicious of the mom. And it's and it's this scene that did it. Like the idea that Norvo has every reason to leave, and it feels like Mom applies the pressure to keep him to stay. Felt like a felt like an evil Mom moment. Yeah. Who maybe wants to cover her tracks? I mean, she does like have a sort of evil Mom vibe. So mm-hmm. I I I can see where you're coming from. O'Brien looks through the books of Esri's family company. <laughs> Yeah, they've got grill marks on them. <laughs> Immediately finds what's going on here. He finds he finds Bilby's wife on the payroll getting like progressively higher salaries every couple of weeks. It'd be like if we hired Rob and then like started paying him more and more and more. <laughs> when in reality what we've done is pay him less and less and given him more and more responsibilities. That's capitalism, baby. <laughs> That's why we got into podcasting, to exploit guys like Rob's. O'Brien's ability at forensic accounting is is positively Ferengi-like. This guy gets Seriously. to the bottom of things real fast. Yeah. I feel like I'm trapped in some kind of Ferengi nightmare. Maybe hanging around with Rom on the engineering team has, uh, some, of, some of that has rubbed off on him or something. The big reveal is that Morica Bilby has been on the payroll. She was on the payroll when she died. Right. And because no one told them when they ask about Morica Bilby, Esri and O'Brien can assume that someone is not only lying, but that person is also involved in Morica's death. He wants to, like, do something about this, and Esri asks him to kind of 
slow his roll until she can figure out specifically what happened. And I thought that this was going to be like, there'll be a couple more scenes where this tension is hanging over every moment. But mm-hmm. instead, it like smash cuts to her having like family meeting with her mom and her two brothers and uh, interrogating them about what this was. Why was this woman on your payroll? It's really interesting how the episode and this storyline hands the baton to Ezri from O'Brien. Like, yeah. The suggestion up top is that this is going to be an O'Brien story. He's the one that's locked into the to the Bilby experience. And yeah. it's just really not. It's a, it's an Ezri story, and I really like the way they did that. I like that O'Brien is there to, like, you know, give a new clue to move the story along, but it's really Ezri's adventure to go on. That confrontation does not go well, Enterprise, because <laughs> Janelle explains how he went into Hawk with the Orion Syndicate. They came to me. Yeah, the price of perineum went down when the Ferengis started their own mine. The taint does not maintain its value. It's a, it's right. very volatile. It's a, an abundant commodity at this point, and yeah. uh, that happened right when they had you know, so bills coming due, and the syndicate kind of took advantage, came in and and gave them the bridge loan. But now they owed the mob a favor, and you don't want to owe the mob a favor. Classic blunder. There's some indignity about this being revealed. Because it's it, it's it's presented very much like a, what other choice did I have? You don't want the business to die, right? They offered us a way out, and I took it. Mm-hmm. Which is like the last gasp of every failed capitalist covering up yeah. their their immoral act. Right. He was, he was standing there realizing that they didn't have enough money to service their debts. And he said, ah, I just wish we had a little bit more latinum on hand. And Bokar came in and said, wish? Did somebody say wish? Yeah, mecha like a high, mecha hiney ho. And then... Uh, mecha like a high, mecha latin ho. The thing is, mom kind of suspects Janelle. But, it, but this is also a moment where it feels like the mom is covering for herself. And that's and that's another time where I felt like the mom was was the heavy here. This is something that I think you and I can relate to. Like we are now like the business owners of of the dumb podcast that we make and mm-hmm. have we've had a couple times where we found out somebody that we'd like gotten, you know, like we hired an accountant that was bad and we discovered that like late in the game and there is some friction in admitting you like made a bad decision when you made an arrangement like that with somebody. And I think that that's kind of what she's going through. Like yeah. she kind of didn't have her eye on the ball. So she is she is kind of playing the blame game here like and and is like ripping into Janelle like off off camera and like they fade all the audio of that argument down and right. have Esri just like turn and look at Norvo and realize that it was Norvo. I thought that was a neat sequence because yeah. like the moment you're thinking me thinks thou suspect too much, uh, <laughs> you, you get Esri's recognition of the truth and boy, that escalates quickly. I handled a problem that you couldn't. I handled it. He uh, he kind of does the 
like law and order style confession of the crime, he went over to to plead with Mrs. Bilby saying like, hey, you keep like saying that the salary we're paying you is not enough. It's uh, it's it's like eating our business alive. And and then he realized like if she was just dead, it would solve all of their problems. Which is a very short-sighted way of thinking when you're talking about the mafia, like, like killing somebody that the mafia wants you to give a bunch of money to, is not likely to get the mafia off your back. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. That doesn't get you out of syndication. Yeah, you did not really solve a problem, Norva. You just you you made you made one problem into a different, bigger problem. Esri encourages Janelle to leave after the trial. Like, there's a lot of planning around the trial, and it made me wonder how long the trial would take in a circumstance where the uh, where the suspect has admitted guilt. Yeah. But I guess it doesn't take very long to uh, sentence him to 30 years. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. So uh, back on DS9... Uh, O'Brien sits with Esri in the replomat where uh, O'Brien says he got off easy mostly because he's not in a 200 year mind prison <laughs> so, yeah I guess anything is easy compared to that Norva only got 30 years that's cake I can do time like that with my uh, with my eyes closed <laughs> and I did yeah <laughs> yeah come on Miles just refer to it once it's yeah. it's basically the most significant moment in Miles O'Brien's life, and he never talks about it. You're gonna you're gonna love his wild ass hair when he comes out of that jail. Yeah, uh, Esri is incredulous about what happened to her family in her absence, and she kind of believes that it was nurture versus nature. Like mom, mm-hmm. mom turned him into the monster. And she feels responsible because she wasn't around to stop it. And when she walks out of frame, and that's like the gavel on the episode, I was like, is that what the episode's trying to say? Like, is this episode trying to say go home more? Because if shit's (laughs) fucked up at home, it's your fault? If so, I don't like that message at all. Wow. But did you like the episode? Ben. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Uh, I did like the episode. I think that Esri took the wrong takeaway, just like me. But I don't think that I don't think. No, I mean, I think that I think that that's what it meant to her, authentically. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't uh, I didn't agree with her assessment of that. But I think that that's like a sign of a good episode that you can like see a character come to a conclusion that you disagree with and not feel like the episode was telling you the wrong thing. So I, I liked it. I liked uh, developing Esri's family uh-huh. a little bit more. Like I think that's an interesting way to take Dax as a character because it it's not really something we got to do with Jadzia. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a strong ep. Another pretty far away from Deep Space Nine and the War kind of feeling episode in a row. Um, but uh, but I, I enjoyed watching it. How about you? I like ending the episode on a main character who may have come to the wrong conclusion. Families are so often a kind of quicksand, and I thought it was interesting to see how Star Trek treats that idea. So yeah. 
I think that's a difficult thing to do. And I thought the episode ably presented uh, many of those pitfalls. But I mean, I don't know. Are we ever going to hear from these people again? It feels mm-hmm. like we we've, we have known up till now very little or next to nothing about Esri. And I'm going to assume that this is it. Like, this is all we're ever going to know about her. We just have no time. Yeah. We're running out of time. We only have like 15 episodes left in this season. (laughs) (laughs) And we got no time for that. We have a war to fight. Yeah. We have no time to talk about this episode any longer because we have priority one messages to read. That's true. Let's go check them out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is from Court. It is for Brian. The requested day was Father's Day of 2020. (laughs) Just going to get that out of the way. Okay. Happy, probably belated Father's Day, Dad, now that I'm starting my own family. I'm practicing my dad jokes on she who is my wife. (laughs) And in parentheses, she hasn't laughed yet. Well, Court, I think that's how you know you got a good dad joke in there. That's a successful dad joke. Don't expect any laughter at a dad joke. Looking for eye rolls, specifically. Message continues, I love you tons, and you'll always be the Ben Sisko to my for some reason Jake. (laughs) Court gets it. Court gets it big time. I like for some reason Jake doesn't have any spaces. It's just intercapitalized. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, happy Father's Day, Brian. Sorry our, our schedule was so packed. This is just a very, very popular way to send Father's Day messages. The greatest generation. It sure is. Uh, Adam, we have another Priority One message here. This one's from Daniel in Chicago, and it's to Ben and Adam. And it goes like this. What if I told you I could take away your pain? Of course, it would be, it will be replaced with a diff kind of pain entirely. But hear me, you don't have to watch Voyager. Instead, I give you Earth: colon, Final Conflict, a Roddenberry brainchild fertilized with inconsistent plots, scene chewing, androgynous aliens, and different cast in season five than season one. Pulls the rug right out from under you every time. I just googled Earth Final Conflict, and the first thing that popped up was, Earth Final Conflict, what went wrong? (laughs) Uh, Daniel in Chicago wrote this this P1 in a very, like, internet argot, where the word you is replaced by, like, the letter U, Mm. and... The word yours replaced by you are. Hmm. And uh, and Roddenberry is Roddenberry? Yeah, yeah. So you know, if you're trying to if you're trying to write persuasive business correspondence <laughs> Daniel in Chicago, I think you want to use a slightly more professional tone in your in your writing. Whoa. <laughs> Clapping back. Okay. I love Voyager. I'm excited about Voyager. That makes one of us <laughs> uh, if you if you have a professionally written persuasive bit of messaging to send to me and Ben or if you've got a father you'd like to send a very late message to uh, you can go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron where uh, 
where both Father's Day messages and appeals to a left turn out of Star Trek Voyager are a great way to support the ongoing production of our show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Did I ever? <laughs> I don't know. Did you? It's Norvo, obviously. Yeah. You got very drunk in this episode. Yeah, I mean, you see how that guy powers through the brandy. Guy's got a real taste for the stuff. Yeah, I like his. True. I like his brandy glasses. Those are fun. They're blue. <laughs> He's got a whole setup. He's got a works yeah. for the brandy, and I'm here for it. So, Norvo is my Shimoda. What about you? My Shimoda is Martok. What? For uh, no, nobody comes to his birthday in this episode. <laughs> oh yeah. I feel like this is a pitch for a Brandon Bird cartoon. No one wants to come to Martok's birthday. (laughs) I feel like Ezri really could have played this beautifully by saying, okay, like I am going to like put my cylindrical Starfleet away bag over my shoulder, walk down the hall to Martok's apartment and say, hey, listen, Cargo Bay 2, 51 cases of Gach, I got it for you. I would love nothing more than to enjoy it with you. But unfortunately, something's come up with work. I've got to leave the system for uh, more time than Gach lasts. So I will be in the Sapporo system. You enjoy that, Gach. Happy birthday. I'm so sad that we're not going to get the jackass-style Gach eating contest between Ezri and Martak, (laughs) where, like, yeah. Everyone in Quarks is like, chug, 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 chug. And they're just going to town on those worms. Yeah. Give me them worms. Give me a gross episode. <laughs> That's what I want. Give me a, a wet hair kind of city of lost children. God, you, you ever have gawk come out of your nose? <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, you laugh You laugh so hard that the gawk comes out your nose. Yeah. That's gnarly. It's like pulling a hair mm. out of your nose that's that's super long that you've just inhaled. Yeah. <laughs> that's some rough trade. Yeah. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? Ah, yeah. Am I, am I right? Ah, you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. 
We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Adam... Good Shimoda's all around. Do you want to uh, talk about what our next episode is going to look like? Gotta do that. It's part of the job. It's going to be season seven, episode 12. The Emperor's New Cloak. Cork and Rom risk their lives by crossing into an evil alternate universe to rescue the captive leader of Quark's homeworld. Wow. Sounds like Nagus in the Mirror Universe. Is the note card pinned to the cork board there? <laughs> I can't believe we're going back. I thought that our last visit to the Mirror Universe was going to be it. Yeah. Gotta say goodbye. Yeah. To the Mirror Universe. 
Send it off in style with a with Wallace Shawn. <laughs> well, we got to give Wallace Shawn a good send off. Uh, yeah. I, we've also got to go over to uh, our game of buttholes. Will the profits to see how we're going to be experiencing that episode. Uh, ben, we're currently on square thirty-two. A couple squares ahead, mm. we've got a measure of a man episode. How do you feel about? vehemently arguing the pro or the con of this one it could happen i would measure my manhood against anyone <laughs> uh, if i were to roll a four it would give us a canar with tamar episode so shit dog Let's see what i do you're required to learn as you play roll we have somebody working on a homemade canar for us i believe and we've we've proven that we'll drink Bruno on the show, basically. Yeah. If, if you send us alcohol you made yourself, we will try it. <laughs> All right. I got the uh, die in my hand. Giving it a, a roll. And I've rolled a five. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. I've hopped us over wow. both of those landmines. We're on square 37. It's a regular old episode. We're uh, making up a ton of ground. Yeah, wild. With 15 episodes left, I like our chances of making it to the Mornhammer dip. I think we could do it. It could happen. We're on our way there. could happen. Wow. Well, uh, that will just about do it for this episode of The Greatest Generation. If you like the show, if you want it to continue to exist, support it. Maximumfun.org slash join is where you do that. Uh, we got to thank a couple of people. Of course, our card daddy, Bill Tilly, who we put on the payroll now running the at greatest trek accounts on instagram and twitter yeah. two different very different follows i uh, i really like that the instagram account is really an instagram account and the twitter account is really a twitter account he's doing a great job over there yeah he really is uh we couldn't have afforded to pay him without the support of our friends at desoto you can make sure bill gets paid by going to maximumfund.org slash join it's true. That's how you do that. Uh, the music you're hearing right now, as well as the uh, the music you've heard throughout the episode, you know that's Adam Ragusea putting his spin on the dark material inspiration that uh, that has been with us from the beginning of The Greatest Generation. Yeah. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which gets those leather pants out of the closet powders him up and rolls him on you should see the sexy ass shit the negus slinks around in in the mirror universe oh man i bet (laughs) really pouring himself in those chaps (laughs) dumps like a truck uh ears like what Can you see my beetle snuff? May her do my snuff, 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 snuff. <laughs> Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.